0: If you are exploring faith for the first time or just trying to figure out what Awaken is about, please don't hesitate to drop us a line and introduce yourself. We welcome any question you might have about life, the Christian faith, or Awaken Church. May God be with you as you listen. Well, good morning, everybody. So I have been challenging people to memorize Exodus chapter 14, 13 through 14, and I was worried this week. Mike, if you wouldn't mind just coming on up. I, I was worried that nobody was memorizing Exodus 14, 13 through 14. And let's just do a quick survey. How many of you have memorized that yet? Okay, all right, yeah. So I thought I was gonna bring in my heavy hitter. Come on over, onto the rug. Because uh, Michael Worth memorizes scripture as a discipline in his life. Here you go. Yep. Okay. Are, you the, are you the last born in your, you're, you're the youngest brother, younger brother, because I, you have another brother here. That's right? what I was told. Yeah, that's why you're better looking. Yeah. yeah. Stronger.
1: <laughs> yeah, I don't
0: know. No, really? <laughs> no. Okay. Well, um, so I've asked Mike to answer some questions. He knows the general sort of topic, but he, doesn't, he hasn't had my questions yet, so we're gonna see how he does. But I want to ask him about scripture memory. And I'm trying to kind of convict you guys, actually. It is my not hidden agenda to think about memorizing scripture. So the first question is, for somebody who's never memorized scripture, why would you tell them to memorize scripture? What's like, you know, one or two things that kind of come to your mind as far as, like, you know, benefits when you memorize scripture?
1: I would just, uh, there's so many things, but God obviously says, if you love me, keep my commandments. Okay. Obviously, that's more maybe of a guilt thing for most people, but we fight the law. But the truth is, if we want to love God more, we need to know his commandments. And we can't know it unless we know it. And then uh, two would be, Psalm 119.11, Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. So when I just think of hid, to hide something, you have to value it. You have to take time to go hide it, and to hide it means you know where it is and you can go back and get it. And I think of okay. memorizing truly draws. God is telling us, take my word. I mean, he, he's given us the word, many Christians haven't had word throughout history, we have this Bible and we do not spend time with it. To take his word, to hide it in our heart and the blessings are untold.
0: Yeah, and so in that passage of scripture that you just uh, quoted from memory, uh, it's handy sometimes when you need it on the spot, but you hide his word in your heart so that you might not sin. So talk a little bit about scripture memory and spiritual warfare. Like, it's a tool that we use and have have Absol- to use.
1: Absolutely, I was just thinking, even coming here as you told me, hey, I wanna call on you this morning. I was <clears throat> just thinking the word of God is, I think of Hebrews uh, where it says, uh, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart there's nothing else that can get through to the heart of man yeah. anywhere close that trumps um, the word of God. Yeah. So yet we take this incredible dynamite nuclear yeah. item and we literally leave it on the shelf so much of our life. Yeah. Uh, when God is desperately saying, my word is the only thing that's gonna break through the, the, the things that we're facing.
0: Right. Um, we see Jesus in his most, when he's having his... Uh, spiritual warfare on display for us in the, you know, he's fasted for 40 days, and then the tempter comes and tempts him, how does he repel those temptations?
1: He repeats the word of God.
0: And do we think he had those verses memorized? I think he did. And so if we're gonna follow in Jesus' footsteps and live as Jesus did, should we memorize scripture? Absolutely. That was a softball question, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, let's assume for the moment because these are the greatest people in the world, and they're 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 very spiritually responsive. Like when somebody gives a spiritual challenge, you're like, "I am on that," right? So let's assume that, and let's assume somebody wants to begin the habit of memorizing scripture. How? Do you do that? Let's say there's somebody, here, they've never memorized a verse before. So how do you go about it? Or maybe how would you help somebody get started?
1: I think it's um, desire, choice. You have to choose that you wanna do something. Many people look and you say, hey, I, yeah, I need to do that. We all know we need to. Yeah. We all are shamed by the fact that we don't know more of God's word. But then to be receive his grace and go forward and say, teach me one verse. I, promise anybody that if you start like anything with one verse, yeah. God will inspire you to the second verse. You say, yeah. well, I don't know what to learn. Uh, every sermon that you hear, God is using some verse. I mean, I do not yeah. walk out of one service here that I could not take one, two verses yeah. that highlight the thought. So I, might channel, my, I would just throw it to anybody is, where do you start? You start with any verse that convicts you of anything yeah. spiritually, and you say, because God will do it. If you, if you test God and say, God, I, I, I don't know a verse, Uh, show me a verse that you want me to learn. I guarantee you, you will see it in bright lights that he wants you to show you. To to memorize, the best thing that I've found is to read, say it out loud. A lot of people try to memorize quietly, when you hear yourself speak, you're you're, you're you're using so many senses. You're using speech, you're hearing your own voice, you're having to put the thoughts together, you're having to fluctuate your voice. Yeah. Uh, that's the power, I think, of really learning more quickly is to speak out loud, and then you hear every mistake and you can change, and then you hear yourself. And as you hear yourself, you're, you're hearing God's word. Right, right,
0: yeah, yeah. okay. Um, last question, Romans 12 Uh One and two talks about you know our response to God's grace is that we lay our lives down, and you know as we're submitting to Him, as we're surrendering to Him, He renews our mind. Um, How do you think the memorization of Scripture helps with the mind renewal process? That's a tough one. I was trying to warm you up for this one.
1: No? That's, that's kind of a softball. Oh,
0: it's a softball. <laughs> okay, all right.
1: It's funny how God has things because yeah. the, the song service today was, It Is Well With My Soul. And even right. as your question, I would easily answer uh, <clears throat> Isaiah 26, 3 and 4. Thou, hast, thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is set on thee. Hmm. Uh, because he trusteth in thee. Trust ye in the Lord Jehovah. For the Lord Jehovah is everlasting strength. strength. I just think of God will keep us In perfect peace. When I think of this world, what we're going through right now, what we're gonna go through, He promises peace. You're talking mind. How do you renew your mind? Well, stayed. So He only promises that to those that whose mind is stayed on Him. That can be done a lot of. We think different ways, but one of the top ways is memorize and uh, examine yourself and repeat it and marinate in God's Word. Awesome. Thanks, Mike.
0: Woo! So yeah, oftentimes the scriptures call us to meditate on God's word, and so this is a form of meditating. If you you don't feel comfortable like sitting cross-legged and doing the you know the Zen meditation thing about scripture, a, a, just a very practical good way to meditate on scripture is by memorizing it, right? Because you're you're just Feeding on it, soaking it in, and it's focusing you, putting your mind at peace. Um, a lot of people struggle with anxiety in life, right? It could be about a variety of different things. So, uh, such a powerful, powerful tool. Okay. Um, we have somebody in our congregation who is uh, pretty amazing. And we've had him do these history vignettes. We call them History with Russ. And so we're gonna get to have another one of those today. Um, but this is like a farewell history with Russ. Uh, he is moving somewhere south, New Mexico or Arizona. I kind of loop them together as one state in my mind. Uh, so we will all be visiting him in January. And so, uh, Russ, if you would like to uh, come on up. Uh, He serves on the leadership team and uh, has been super helpful to our church uh, for a number of years. If you could all welcome the great Russ (laughs) Leavitt.
2: Morning, everyone. Has anybody else noticed that this year, 2020, has been kind of crummy? kind of a bad year, so I thought what better way to have my last history with Russ than to talk about some other crummy years. <laughs> I'm gonna talk about three really bad years and why they were bad and why in the bigger picture they're not really all that bad. First really bad year is 303 AD. Uh, 303, anybody know why 303 is significant? Probably not. I didn't know until I looked it up. 303 was the year the last great persecution of the Christian church in the Roman Empire began. The emperor at the time was was a man called Diocletian, and at this time, the Roman Empire was kind of having some problems. It was being attacked by the Persians in the east, and Germanic tribes were moving into Roman territory from the north, and the empire was kind of creaky and badly run, and Diocletian became the emperor. He was actually a fairly effective administrator. He was able to consolidate his uh, management of the empire. One of the things he did was essentially finally eliminated the role of the legislature, the Roman Senate, in doing anything. So he consolidated all the power of, of the government into the hands of the executive. Uh, and sometimes when people do things like that, become the sole ruler of everything, they tend to get a big head. Uh, this, was this also happened with the emperor Diocletian. One of the symptoms of his megalomania, you can see in coins from the period, the coins from the period have a picture of him on them, and underneath it says, in Latin, Dominus et Deus. Anybody know what that means? Diocletian, Lord and God. Now, if you, think you're, if you think you're the Lord and the God, if there's a group of people who refuse to acknowledge you as the God, do you think that might bother you? It did, it bothered Diocletian, so he was the one who initiated this great persecution of the Christian church, in 303, he signed an edict. Essentially, it began attempting to wipe out Christianity in in its entirety. Uh, The Process started fairly innocuously, you know. He just uh, prohibited Christians from coming together to worship in the same building. Thank heavens we don't have to deal with that kind of thing today. (laughs) Started with that, but then it moved on, it got much worse, and eventually, moved on to you know many, many leaders of the church were martyred for either refusing to acknowledge Diocletian as God or for refusing to take part in pagan sacrifices, various things. But there was this tremendous persecution. It was, however, ultimately unsuccessful. Uh, One of the things Diocletian did that was more successful was he sort of restructured the way the Roman Empire was managed. Instead of having one emperor in Rome and he's centralizing everything, he split the empire into two parts, one centered in Rome and one centered in Constantinople in the east. And Diocletian named himself the, and another of his allies called Maximian, they were the two emperors of these two halves of the empire, each called an Augustus. And he gave, Diocletian gave each Augustus a sort of deputy emperor called a Caesar. The man he named to be Diocletian, the great persecutor of the church named to be Caesar in the west was a general called Constantius Chlorus. And when Constantius Chlorus got promoted, he did what a lot of men do and traded in his wife for a newer model. He put away his wife, Helen, Helena, to marry the emperor Maximian's daughter. Helena, we've talked about before one of these history with Rust talks. She is, in fact, later became known as Saint Helena. She is the patron saint of new discoveries. She had a son named Constantine. Anybody remember why Constantine is significant? So, in the space of one human lifetime, the world went from having an, the Roman world went from having an empire emperor dedicated to wiping out the church to an emperor who became a Christian. Kind of funny how those things work. The next really bad year after 303 is the year 451. You know, Constantine had successfully consolidated the emperor, empire. The Roman Empire largely adopted the Christian faith, and then later it went back to being two empires, Eastern Roman Empire in Constantinople, Western in Rome. The Eastern Empire was really the rich, rich part of the empire. It had had all the money. It's where most of the old Roman wealth and culture was located. But still, both sides of the empire had to deal with barbarians. And when you think barbarian, is there one name that comes to mind as kind of the... Barbarian's a barbarian, if you want to be a barbarian. That's a, that would be a pirate master, that's a pirate, red beard. Conan. Uh, <laughs> Conan, yeah. How about Attila the Hun? Phil the Hun was kind of the big bad granddaddy of the barbarians in the declining years of the Roman Empire. He started out, uh, he was the the king of a nomadic people, the Huns, who had migrated to to Europe from the steppes of Central Asia, started out by sort of invading the Eastern Roman Empire and plundering them a little bit, but the Eastern Empire was rich enough that they were able just to pay him to go away. So he got his money and went to go start plundering the Western Roman Empire somewhat. And that brings us to our next year of really bad years, the year 451. In the year 451, Attila the Hun invaded Gaul, which, was, which is today France. It was a wealthy province of the old Roman Empire. He invaded and was going to plunder it really good, but he was stopped. Uh, the Romans, the remaining Romans under the general Aetius made an alliance with a, a uh, Germanic tribe called the Visigoths, whose king was Theodoric. And together they, and the Visigoths had adopted Christianity some years previously. Together, the Christian Romans and the Christian Visigoths fought in 451 the Battle of the Catalonian Plains and defeated Attila the Hun. He lost the battle and decided, okay, I'll go find someplace easier to plunder. He left from Gaul and set his sights on Rome, thinking, well, you know. It's not what it used to be, but there's probably still some good stuff there to loot and plunder. As he approached Rome, however, this is, and this is a part of Christian tradition that's very interesting. The, the tradition is that uh, who was running Rome at the time? Was there an emperor? Not really so much. The pope was pretty much in charge of things. And at that time, the pope was Leo the Great. And Pope Leo, by, by tradition, when, when the Huns, our Hunnic army approached, he went out all by himself. And met and spoke with Attila. Nobody knows what he said, but whatever he said, Attila the Hun just decided to turn around and leave. And instead of plundering Rome, the Huns went back to the steppes of, to the plains of Central Europe, basically settled down and became farmers, and eventually melted into the Christian European population. So that was 451, another really bad year that ended not so badly. The final bad year was the year 541. Does anyone know why Egypt was important to the Roman Empire? Resources. Resources, correct. Which resource? Bread. Bread, exactly. It was the bread basket of the Roman Empire. The the periodic Nile floods make the soil very fertile. Egypt was where most of the grain in the Roman Empire was grown. In the year 541, there was an outbreak of bubonic plague in Egypt. And So Egypt exported a lot of grain around the Roman world. People like grain and eat it. Who else likes grain? Rats. And what, what likes rats? Fleas. And fleas are, the, of course, the primary vector for transmitting the plague. As 541 was the outbreak of a plague that covered the entire Mediterranean world. It ultimately killed about 25% of the population. It is known now historically as Justinian's plague. Anybody know why? Justinian was the mad scientist who invented it? No. The emperor, emperor of the Eastern Roman Empire was the Emperor Justinian. Uh, he's known for other things other than just the plague that happened while he was, while he was the emperor. The plague did not destroyed the empire. And Justinian was successful at uh, strengthening the Eastern Empire. He even reconquered some of what had been the old Western Roman Empire. And he is responsible for completing what great building that we have talked about in the past. The Hagia Sophia, the great church in Constantinople. And in this church, as we, anyone who was here and we talked about it a couple years ago, there is a beautiful mosaic that depicts Christ Pantocrator, Christ as the ruler of everything. And it was a reminder to everybody in the world, the Christian world, that Christ is sovereign, God is sovereign no matter what happens. And it stood there for a 1,000 years as the greatest church in the Roman world until the Ottoman conquest of Constantinople in 1453. But, It's still there, it's still there, it's still standing, and you can still see this beautiful mosaic. So the last thing I wanna leave you with for my final History with Russ talk is that remember those three numbers, 303, 451, and 541. And if you're ever in a time when you're dealing with a plague of some kind, or there are barbarians looting and plundering in the streets, (laughs) or maybe, a government that is hostile to our worship. Remember, even in that situation, God is sovereign and God is good. Thanks for listening.
0: That's so awesome. Now you know why we've had history with Russ. Um, If you guys would please stand Can you put Exodus 14 13 through 14 up there? I think it's the last slide. It might just be that this verse could help you in life in a, a variety of ways. You can you could substitute whatever thing in your life seems overwhelming too big, out of your control, you can substitute that in for the Egyptians. And you can pray this verse, you can claim this promise, um, you can live with this faith. Let's read this together. But Moses told the people, don't be afraid, just stand still and watch the Lord rescue you today. The Egyptians you see today will never be seen again. The Lord himself will fight for you. Just stay calm. Amen. You guys have a fantastic week. We'll see you next Sunday, if not before. Thank you again for listening. It is a joy to be able to share God's truth with you. Hopefully you found this teaching helpful to your understanding of what it looks like to be a follower of Jesus in today's world. And hopefully you are inspired to take a further step of faith. Please let us know how we can be praying for you as you continue your journey. If you live in the Anchorage area, you are welcome to join us any Sunday. And we have an Awaken 101 event every six weeks. And this is also a great way to find out more about our church. Please sign up for that event by going to the Events tab at our website, AwakenAlaska.com and looking for Awaken 101. Feel free to share this podcast with your friends and we will see you next week.